This is episode number 28 of the High Impact Leaders Podcast, your shortcut to personal growth and career success. Welcome to episode number 28 of High Impact Leaders. I'm Doug Stannert, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and this is the podcast that helps people just like you acquire leadership and management skills to, to improve your career and really facilitate dynamic growth in your business. So the title of this episode is How to Manipulate People. And if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, just because you found the title like in iTunes during a search, well, guess what? You didn't click this episode by accident. No, seriously, though, um, if you if you understand what manipulators do um, to change behavior of the people that are around them, then you can protect yourself from unethical people. And that's really what this is all about. So the episode is brought to you by the Leaders Institute. And over the last couple of weeks, um, I've, I've been talking about the rollout of our new leadership development courses, the new High Impact Leaders courses. This is a combination of online courses, virtual coaching with a leadership coach, obviously, and then in-person seminars as well. I mean, I can't wait to share with you the details. We're just days away from, from the release, so stay tuned, especially listen next week. We'll give you a whole lot more details on it. Um, by the way, if you want to, to get additional details about High Impact Leaders or any of the other programs that we offer, just go to leadersinstitute.com. All right, so let's get on with today's topic. So I jokingly called this session how to manipulate people. Um, eventually, we're going to get to the seven signs of a con artist. And, you know, those are things that you really need to know to avoid being a victim. There's lots of bad people out there. And if you can identify behavior uh, that people do when they're trying to manipulate you, then um, you can you can protect yourself from it. So, so I know that the title, you know, how to manipulate people, it sounds really bad and uh, and, and and really unethical. But I mean, it got you to listen, didn't it? Right. So the question is, did I manipulate you into listening, or did I persuade you? Because there's a fine line between the two. You know, since. Um, since I've, I've written, you know, a number of different blog posts and, and recorded a number of different podcasts, done seminars uh, for years about persuasion and how to win people to your way of thinking. Um, and and I, I thought it might be fun to kind of explore the darker side, you know, so in, in this episode, you're going to find the seven signs of a, of a con artist that you absolutely need to know to avoid being a victim. But since we're in the political season here in the United States, anyway, I, I want I'm going to use a few of the most successful con artists, con artists in the game, politicians. I'm going to use those as my examples. So if you listen to the entire podcast, and this is pretty long, I'm probably going to have to break this into a few different sessions. Uh, but if you do, you're, you'll understand. In a, a lot of you will anyway, that the word politician is just a, another word for con man in a lot of situations. So let's first talk about the, the terms that I used before, like manipulation, persuasion, influence. What's the difference between those terms? What, what makes them different? Well, the major difference between persuading somebody and manipulating them tends to rely on who benefits from the action. You know, for instance, Manipulation occurs if I get you to do something that benefits me but harms you. 
the person who is manipulating often uses deception in the process, by the way. And then on the other hand, though, if, if the manipulated person actually benefits from the action, a lot of times the term persuasion is often used. Um, I, I mean, a, a good way to kind of explain it is that, you know, Western law here in the United States and, and a lot of the other Western European countries and Western world anyway, is based on Judeo-Christian principles of, of what's right and what's wrong. So if you adhere to these principles, then the difference between persuasion and manipulation seem, seems obvious. However, if your morality or your belief system is based elsewhere, then the difference can be this huge gray area. Um, I, I'll give you a good example. I, I, I once hired an account manager who was, she was incredibly charismatic. She was incredibly likable. In fact, she was one of my best salespeople for quite a while anyway, if, if not for years, just, just for, for quite a while. Um, but after she'd been with the company, I started to notice some odd things happening with her clients or with the contracts that she was writing up. Uh, it started out really, really small. For instance, on occasion, she would accidentally charge the client a discounted price in order to close the sale. And, you know, I was a sales guy for, for many years too. And so I know that, you know, sometimes she kind of, play some games to make sure that you get hit your numbers and that kind of thing. But on other occasions, she might actually charge the customer an inflated price. And she would do that specifically to increase her commission. <laughs> and and that's that's way across the line, right? So I remember having a few discussions with her about ethics and morality. Eventually, I had to let her go. I mean, I have to be able to trust you in order to to have you working with with my customers. You, I mean, basically, it's this is my company and and it's my reputation. So, so I found out later though that she had previously co-owned a competitive company, another another company that was kind of like mine. I, they specialized in different areas, but but um, she was doing training and teaching and and. Um, selling for that company. And, and from what I could determine, just from what I could find out from, from folks who kind of worked with her, was that her partners had somehow cheated her out of her equity in that company. It's possible that each of the partners was somewhat shady. You know, they all kind of, a bunch of shady people kind of got together and they all cheated each other. It's also possible that that first experience just kind of jaded her. But um, I, I, by the time that she was working with me, though, I think her mentality had kind of shifted to, hey, you got to cheat other people before they cheat you. And I tend to find that people who manipulate other folks, they have what I call a seared conscience. You know, they, they see others as being cheater, cheaters. And so they see nothing wrong with cheating somebody else first. I'm just getting them before they get me. The, the big thing you have to know about manipulation tactics, persuasion tactics, and what happens when other people actually manipulate us or cheat us is you have to be aware of karma, right? Um, I give you a good example. I mean, I love magic. In fact, I just, I just purchased a subscription to masterclass. You know, they, the, it's a pretty cool kind of online service that, that uh, where, where famous people teach classes to us peons. And um, the only reason I purchased the master class membership though, was because the ad that they were using was of Penn, Penn and Teller, the magicians, they were going to teach a magic class. I'm like, holy cow, that's awesome. I get to learn magic from Penn and Teller. That'd be kind of cool. All right. Um, and so, uh, but, but the, the thing about magic that makes it fun is it's pure deception. And the people that are in the audience, they know they're being deceived, right? That magician is deceiving you into thinking a certain way 
so that he can surprise you. And and as a consumer I, of, of magic anyway, I, I welcome this deception. I think most people do. It makes the process really fun. We try to figure out what's going on. However, I find that if I've been deceived and manipulated in a business transaction of some type, I have a totally different reaction. So I'm, I'm sure you do as well, right? So the old Hindu term karma, it often comes into play, you know, for every action, there's a cause and effect. Um, but um, just, just because later on in the, in the, in the podcast, I'm, I'm going to use politicians as examples. I'm doing this just for fun, by the way, please don't write me bad emails or, or reviews because man, he'd ripped apart my politician. Um, it, it, but I, I want to explain to you though, how the 2020 presidential election is kind of shaping up. And by the way, this is the same thing for the 2016 election. Same thing happened back then. Um, what's happened is throughout my lifetime anyway, and I'm getting pretty old now, politicians have been, they've, they've made promises um, that if they get elected, they're going to fix certain problems. And then four years later, they come back to the same people that voted to them before, make the same exact promises, make up an excuse, and then make up the same promises. And one of the things that that Donald Trump has done, I mean, he's got this huge population who of people who just absolutely love him. He's, I mean, obviously, he's also got a huge population who absolutely detests him as well. And um, But if you're in the latter, if you're one of these people that just can't stand Donald Trump, then um, you, you, you may not actually understand why there are so many people out there who would crawl over broken glass to, to vote for him. But since he was elected, though, politicians, and, and I'm in, reinforcing that, the word politicians on both sides of the aisle have shown him absolute contempt. And hopefully as you listen further, you may begin to see why, because the, the thing that, that um, a con man or a magician for that matter, despises the most is the person who exposes the con. <laughs> and so if you, if you kind of look at things from that perspective, it can be a little fun. So let's kind of start off by, by, Take, I'm going to take you through the, the it's really a four-step process. I'm going to cover three steps. If, if I have time on this podcast, we'll, on this session anyway, um, I'm, I'll cover all three steps. Most likely, we're going to have to break this up into, into pieces, though, because I got a lot of content here. There's a lot of good stuff that, that can be helpful. But these are the different phases. There's really a fourth phase that I'm going to cover on a totally separate session here. But the three main phases starts with phase number one which is um, if, if, if you want to know how you know when someone is manipulating you, then it always start with what I call an emotional appeal. Um, Maria uh, Konnikova, she, she wrote this, uh, this book called The Confidence Game. Fantastic book, by the way. And one of the things that she said in it was she said that at their root, magic tricks, which is what I was talking about before, and confidence games like like a con artist, a con man, con woman would use, they share the same fundamental principle. Their goal is to manipulate our beliefs. They're trying to get us to believe something that is not real or manipulate what we believe to be true. So con artists realize that the, the beliefs of, of people are more malleable. You can change somebody's belief if they're in a heightened state of emotion. So if you think about it, when you get really, really, really angry, we, we really don't think rationally. 
I mean, as an example, I mean, I have on a very, very, very rare occasion seen my sweet, lovable, amiable wife get so angry that she does something extremely out of character. Now, forget that oftentimes when these anger sessions occur, it's because I've done something that I shouldn't have done, right? Um, just that's beside the point. That doesn't make any difference here. But let's. But what happens though is that sweet, lovable, amiable people can act out of character if there's a lot of emotion involved. So there's this interesting type of psychology. It's called neuro-linguistic programming. You've, you may have heard of it before, NLP. Um, it, it's a fascinating study of human behavior and, and persuasion. And although the study is really, really complex, there are a few basic concepts that are, that are important. Um, and I, by the way, I'm not an expert. This is not my, my thing, but I study it a lot. I do come across it, especially in, in writing uh, persuasive um, articles and stuff like that. But the, the first of, of the things that I've kind of figured out about NLP that's, that's kind of common, no matter who you're learning it from or who is practicing it, is that um, people like and they are also attracted to people who are like them, right? So manipulators often begin by doing things to kind of get in step or get in rapport with what they call their mark or their victim. The second thing that the, manip- the manipulator will do is they try to they try to put their victims into um, a, a state where they're more susceptible to suggestions. You know, um, by the way, they call this state, they call it a trance, but don't let that term fool you. I mean, a lot of times when people hear that um, you think of the, I mean, uh, like I said, I'm old. I used to watch the Scooby-Doo cartoons on Saturday morning when I was a kid and Scooby-Doo would always, you know, if he was in a, he would, if he was pretending to be in a trance, he would be like a zombie type thing with his arms sticking out. That that's, it's nothing like that. There's nothing mystical about this. There's nothing spiritual about it. There's it's basically, it's a description. In fact, a better way, a better term, I think, to describe this versus trance or state would be um, like a daydream, right? If you think about those moments that you have, where for just a second, your mind totally wanders and it's forming images or it's forming a narrative. There's kind of a story going on in your head and you kind of forget where you're at at the moment. Well, the mind tends to be very creative when it wanders. So if you've ever had one of those situations where you're kind of in the shower and your mind, you're maybe singing or something, and then all of a sudden a solution to a really tough problem just becomes obvious you've experienced this phenomenon. It's, it's the, it, it, it's one of those things that occurs to us very, very naturally. And a lot of times people who are manipulating other folks or con men, they, they, they know this. So um, they know that in this heightened state, any emotion will do, by the way, it could be, it, it, it could be um, anger, laughter, fear. Those are the ones that are most common, but it could be anything. It could be love or, or um, sadness or sorrow. But when you're in that state where you're really thinking a lot, your, your mind is kind of wandering and thinking about the emotion or creating that narrative in your mind, you're much more susceptible to um, a, a suggestion that somebody makes. Uh, and by the way, the easiest way to elicit a, a trance, a daydream, a, a state, whatever you want to call it, is to tell a narrative or a story. Right. By the way, um, <clears throat> just to kind of step out of character here, this is actually one of the best persuasion techniques that you can use. And 
um, uh, if you're trying to persuade, so if we're not trying to manipulate somebody, if we're trying to influence them in a positive way, if we're trying to get them to do something that's for their benefit, a lot of times a good technique to use is to start with a, a story or an example. I've been teaching this, by the way, in my public speaking classes and leadership classes for years. So there's nothing unethical or immoral about what I'm going to cover in the next couple of minutes anyway. It's what happens next that people do when they're trying to manipulate you. So so let's kind of start with the easy part, with the easiest way to elicit a, a trance or, or um, a, um, a, a, um, a, a change in state anyway, that daydream is to tell a narrative. You know, for instance, if you've ever been watching a great movie, you know, you get really involved, you're totally engrossed by it. If that's happened, you're, you for that in that moment, um, you're no longer in the movie theater or you're no longer sitting on your sofa. You're actually in that, your, your mind is kind of taking you into the, the story. It happens, by the way, in, in movies. It also happens when you're reading a novel or listening to an audio book. I find that happens a lot, to me a lot. I, I, I get a lot of uh, kind of work done when I'm on the road, if I'm driving, you know, a long distance and I put an audio book on and, and I mean, it's, it, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. So what happens is that story just, it captivates us. And even though our bodies are, are there, our minds are actually in, in the story. So the, if, if, since that is an easy way to kind of open the door to, to manipulating someone, a lot of times these con people, these con artists will, will do that. They, they know that anecdotal stories work the same way that a movie does. So manipulators will often use a story of a, of a single incident to get the listener or the, the, the person that they're trying to influence to believe that this single example is global. So human nature, we tend to believe that if we see something or if something has happened once, then it can obviously happen again, and it probably happens all the time. We just don't know about it, right? So, so basically, what happens is somebody who is trying to manipulate another person will typically start with a narrative of some type. They'll start start with a they're getting somebody in that emotional state or getting them in that that um, emotional moment, getting them into that daydream by telling them a quick example or a quick story that gets them thinking about the emotion, right? Now, keep in mind, not all examples, um, what I've said before, the, not all examples of that I'm going to give here, give you here in the next couple of seconds are, are people who are manipulating crowds. Um, telling a good story to reinforce a point is, is a fantastic way to prove your point. And, if, and it's really what happened next that determines whether or not that speaker is really manipulating the listener. So in the show notes, I've given six total examples of videos. Uh, they're just excerpts of videos that show different politicians doing this. Um, I, I picked Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump just because they're running right now. So I, I just kind of picked excerpts from each one of their last couple of or from their speeches anyway. One with Biden was really recent, was just in the last couple of days. The one with Trump, I found a better example from from way back during the, the last campaign. But um, the, the Joe Biden example, last week, um, Biden was giving a speech. And in the speech, he was talking about the coronavirus. And, and he basically tells a quick story about a girl named Kristen in Arizona whose father died from COVID. Now, obviously, it's a very, very sad story. And so as a result, he's using that as a way to kind of create that image in the mind of the of the audience, and and he's attempting to uh, try to persuade people that 
Trump hasn't handled the coronavirus thing well, right? Uh, President Trump, in the video that I shared with him, uh, in his it was his 2016 acceptance speech at the uh, Republican National Committee. Uh, and basically what he does is he tells a story about three mothers who each lost their children or child's child, children <laughs> to, to violence on the border. And during the story, he, he it's it's interesting the way that he reinforces the emotion. He emphasizes the emotion because um, he, he interrupts himself and he says, in all my travels in, in this country, nothing has affected, effectively moved me more. And, and then he interrupts himself again. He says, not even close. I tell you, I, I can, I can tell you. Not, and so basically what he's doing is he's, he's um, exemplifying, he's exaggerating the, the emo, maybe not exaggerating, but he's, he's calling attention to that emotion even more. Um, and, and by the way, there are a number of different uh, excerpts that I have on the, in the show notes that you can go back and look people from both different, both sides of the political spectrum. So this, it's a very common thing. And like I said, there's nothing at all wrong with anything that any of these people are doing. Uh, it's basically whether or not something else occurs uh, that will determine whether or not there is uh, manipulation involved. So once the victim, the person who's being manipulated, is in the emotional state, the next thing that the manipulator will try to do is they'll try to create an anchor. They're trying to create a trigger to uh, get the person to to experience that emotion at a future time. So um, the in this kind of really goes back to you know, over 100 years. The in the 1890s, there was a Russian psychologist, uh, Ivan Pavlov. And he conducted an experiment with his dog. You've probably heard the story before. Pavlov's dogs, right? Um, basically, the in summary, here's what here's what he did. He noticed that every time that he walked into the room where his dogs were, and he had their bowls with him, the dog's mouth would start watering. He theorized that the vision of the bowls was was it was like a trigger. It was an anchor to let them know that the food was coming. So he, he performed an experiment to see if he could add a new trigger to see if it will work as well as the visual image. And so what he started doing was that every time he would bring the, the dogs their food, he would ring a bell just before he fed them every, every single day. And it created a new anchor, it created this, this new trigger. So whenever he rang the bell, the dog's mouth started watering and, and by the way, it would occur even if he didn't have the food with him, even if he didn't feed them right away, the dog's mouth would start to water because they were associating the ringing of that bell with, hey, I'm about to, we're about to get fed, right? So these anchors themselves, by the way, just like the, the stories that we told before, the anchors themselves are neither good nor bad. If, if a person understands how to use them, though, he or she can use those anchors that they set to manipulate other people into having feelings about certain things, or in, in a lot of cases, people. You know, for instance, I'll give you a personal example of how I've used this for, for the positive. I, I recently noticed that really since COVID hit that I've gained quite a few pounds, like 15 plus. And I and I'm I'm getting dressed the other day. I'm putting on my pants and and as I kind of buckled my belt or buckled my pants anyway, I kind of noticed that that my my waist kind of rolled over my belt a little bit, you know. And knowing how anchors work, I I, I mean, at that moment, I was in a uh, I, it was like ugh, I, I mean, I was disgusted with myself. I was like, oh god, how can you let this happen, right? man, you were doing so well. You were getting so skinny again. It's almost like you're in college. I was not that close, but it was, I was moving in that direction anyway. 
Um, so what I did though, was I took a close up photo of my belt line, by the way, don't show anybody this. This is for your own personal benefit. <laughs> if you take a picture like that, you will gross the heck out of people. If you, if you do this kind of thing. Um, but what I did was I made the, the photo, my phone wallpaper, you know, like the lock uh, wallpaper. So let anytime I got an email or um, a text message or something like that, you know, it, it kind of pops up on the screen. And, um, um, it, and so I was looking at that sometimes 15, 20, 30 times a day. And throughout the time that I had that on, every time that I craved a sweet, I would just kind of trigger my phone and have it turn on. And I would quickly lose my appetite because it really is grotesque, by the way. Um, After a couple of days, though, the anchor was set. I didn't have I didn't need the photo anymore. I, I was I wasn't cheating like I had been for the past, you know, six or seven months. Um and, and by the way, um, a few of the speeches that I, I talked about in the show notes, they, they have what we call auditory anchors, kind of like the, the Pavlov's bell uh, anchored in the story. You know, for instance, uh, when Joe Biden ends, he ends by saying, you know, Kristen said her dad's only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump. So basically, when he's just doing that, he's he's anchoring the COVID deaths to Donald Trump. He's he's trying to associate Trump, uh, President Trump, with the with the deaths. Uh, Romney did the same thing uh, back when he ran against Obama. Um, he said, "I wish President Obama had succeeded, because I want America to succeed." And what he was doing was he was anchoring the bad economy that was going on at the time to Obama's policies. And so, a lot of politicians do this. And and again. There's a fine line if you're if you if you are doing these things. It's a, there's a fine line between trying to persuade people and um, and um, uh, influencing people and manipulating them, uh, and, it, and it really determines. It's really determined a lot by if you're using deception to create that that behavior change. So, so uh, you, so kind of remember the the karma there, right? Um, so if in and really if all they're doing is this, it doesn't really rise to the evilness of manipulation. I mean, everything so far is really in line with with persuasion, influence. But again, this is just phase one of the manipulation. This is something that's fairly common, and most of us do these kind of things naturally. It's what happens next that, that determines whether or not you're going to be manipulated. By the way, if if you've never studied this kind of stuff, if you've never studied persuasion techniques or manipulation techniques or how to keep from being manipulated, you're probably thinking, oh, come on, <laughs> telling a story and then blaming the results of that story on your opponent, that's never going to work. And in most cases, you're going to be right. Um, a lot of times it takes a constant repetition in order to in order to to make that that anchor work really well. So going back to my, you know, my not cheating on my snacks. Um, the first time I saw that picture, eh, well, didn't you know it wasn't it wasn't really as impactful. But man, after I saw that like thirty times in a day, I mean, every time I'm seeing it, I'm getting more angry. I'm getting more, uh, you know. I mean, it's the emotion is is kind of hitting me, right? So I'm getting going. I'm going back into that that um, that state, that daydreaming moment, right? Um, so um, just kind of keep that in mind. The high emotional state is really just the first phase. Um, by the way, in the in the show notes, I added an excerpt from the movie The Sting. I'm, the one of the reasons why I, I kind of love speaking on this topic and and doing research on this topic is because I mean, when I was a kid, I was a, I was a big um, 
fan of like the con man movies, you know, or gangster movies and that kind of thing. So the sting was, you know, I came way after the time that, well, I mean, I think it was, I think it was made sometime in my lifetime, but I would have been a baby back when it was, when it was made Robert Redford, Paul Newman back in forever ago anyway. But um, the thing was, is that broadcast TV was still very popular back when I was a kid. And so they'd play it sometimes two or three times a year. And you only had, we only had three stations back then. So um, it would, it, it would, some, I'd, it would come on TV, you know, once or twice a year. And, and uh, a lot of times I would, I'd kind of watch it. Um, one of my favorite movies that was dirty rotten scoundrels with, um, with Steve Martin. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, some of these, the, it's hilarious. It's really funny. And it's, and it's, uh, and it's got, you know, lots of twists and turns and that kind of thing. So it makes it fun. Um, but what, when um, in the, in the excerpt that I put into the show notes, if you get a chance to watch it, pay attention to the the multiple instances of high emotion. What I was just talking about, because first, the characters, the the manipulators, it's a team of con artists that, that are manipulating what they call the mark, right? The person who is being manipulated, and basically, the the one of the characters. Robert Redford and the person, the, the mark, the person who's being manipulated, end up foiling an armed robbery. And then, um, at, so basically, that's that's a pretty emotional type of incident, right? So you know, there was a weapon involved and somebody got stabbed and there was a robbery and so there was crime. So that's a pretty high um, emotional moment already uh, That's that that is starting the quote-unquote narrative. Then the victim, right? The person who is uh, about, so, and then after that, you know, so basically once the robbery is foiled, the, the person who is, um, who is the, the mark, the person who is being, who is being manipulated uh, ends up with the, the, the guy's wallet, the, the, the robber drops it during the scuffle and this guy picks it up and, and brings it back. And when he hands the, the wallet back to the victim, the, vic- the so-called victim anyway, who's actually one of the con men, he opens up the wallet and there's just a ton of cash. There's like five grand in, in cash. And that was, this was back in the 70s. Well, this would have been back in the 1930s, I think was when the movie was set. So that's a lot of $5,000 back then is a huge amount of money, right? And so then at that, so that's another high. So basically they're pushing the emotion up every time one of these new instances occur that the emotions starts to kick up a little bit. And then the, the person who is the victim tells the bystander that, that he's going to be, he's going to be killed. If this huge stack of money that the person just got a glance of isn't dropped off to a mob house. And, and, um, and then, so basically the, so the story now is, is being involved. And then uh, during the moment that, that Robert Redford, who's in on the, on the con uh, ends up stealing or switching the money from the, from the person who was getting swindled. Um, the, the, the victim rants about how, you know, the only reason he didn't, he, he, he's late getting this payment to the, the mob boss is that his wife has been sick and his kids have been sick and, you know, and there's, he's about to go bankrupt and da, 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 all this. So he's basically telling story. He's giving a narrative. He's given a story in order to kind of keep that emotion. So all of that, the, the whole scene shows how emotion influences the behavior of the bystander, the, the mark, right? It, it, because this guy ends up giving all of his money to a complete stranger, even if it's just for a second, but that's a totally 
irrational behavior. You know, nobody in their right mind would do that. But because of the emotional state and because of the trust that was being kind of built in that in that moment with the with the swindlers, um, he he does it, and he does he ends up doing it out of fear. By the way, so if you get a chance to go back to the show notes. Um, and, and watch the video or you can look it up. If you just look up the sting on YouTube, you'll, you'll find it. That's how I found it, by the way. So, the, so basically, so once that emotional state is set, right, the second phase of the con is establishing who the villain is and who the victim is. So if you go back to the scene in the sting that I just kind of described to you, there's a narrative, there's a storyline that, that unfolds in, in front of the mark who is the, the, the real victim. And, and that narrative actually creates both a villain and a victim, right? It's, it's a fictitious villain, a fictitious victim as well, right? So a person, you know, he robs and stabs a man creating the victim and the Mark sympathizes. He's making that emotional connection now with the man who's just been both robbed and stabbed. And then the victim then tells the 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 um the victim who is actually involved in the, the crime right he, he now tells a narrative about how the mob is going to kill him if he doesn't deliver the money by a certain time limit so the time limit gets set 4 p.m and then the, the mark now perceives that the mob is the villain right so it's the it's this it's this mob it's the now keep in mind that they never actually identify who the mob is it's just ooh man the mob they, they're the bad guys right so the 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 convincer who is Robert Redford, he's the he's part five of this, right? So he adds to the narrative by pretending to be the moral and the righteous third party. He's he's giving credibility to this thing that's going on. He's giving credence to it, right? So um, so let's kind of let's let's go through each one of these parts of the manipulation or, or, or a con, right? So let's start with the, the first one, which is the narrative, which we're, we're going to spend a whole lot more time on that later on in the, in the, in the recording. But the, the narrative is, it's the storyline that's, that's told to facilitate the manipulation. It, it begins, it, it's, it, it begins in step one, but it really comes through to fruition in phase three, which, which comes after this part. Um, the mark, that's the person who's being conned. And then the villain and the convincer create the uh, sorry the victim and the convincer they create a fictitious fictitious villain now. So the villain is the person that's created by the person who is who is being portrayed as the victim and the convincer. And incidentally, the villain is almost never a person. It's typically it's a it's a vague group. They they vague groups they make the best villains because the, it takes away a lot of the ability of the the person that's being manipulated to um, check up on or, or to to verify findings right. So basically, if they just say the mob, that's one thing. But if they say um, so, this was in the 1930s, right? So that would be Al Capone probably there in Chicago. So um, maybe. Um, uh, if if um, if he said, yeah, it's it's for um, um, Joe Blow, the henchman for Al Capone, who hangs out on the thirty on thirty straight second street corner, right? Now all of a sudden, if somebody actually knows who that person is, they can go verify the story, and and it makes it a little bit harder. So most of the time, when you when when a a, a person who's manipulating somebody creates the the villain, the villain is um, it's a it's a vague group. 
Um, and you'll see that a lot of times in the, when the political ones that I kind of lay out in a few minutes. So the victim, when the manipulator tells the narrative, they create a victim that elicits either anger or sympathy from the, the mark. It could or any emotion really, but most of the time it's either anger or sympathy. In many cases, you can uncover the the manipulation by looking a little bit more closely at the victim. (laughs) So when when the circumstances surrounding the victim begin to not match the narrative, the manipulation is exposed. So a lot of times when these things unfold, that's one of the ways that they tend to unfold is that the, the uh, upon further glance, it starts, we start to realize that, hey, that person that is being called a victim is not really a victim. Anytime you start to get that feeling, you're being manipulated. So be careful about that. The last part is the convincer. The convincer is the person that verifies that the, that the narrative is true. Most often, the manipulation the, the, the manipulation will will depict the the convincer with grandiose terms like Boy Scout or honorable to add credibility. You can also uncover the manipulation by looking more closely at the convincer. So just like you can with the victim, once you find misleading or dishonorable statements or contrary statements from that person who is the convincer, the con will start to, it'll start to fold pretty, pretty quickly. So the, so here's the here's what they do. So so with each one of these these uh, different components, the manipulator will create a villain to divert the emotion or to invert and to divert an investigation from the manipulator. Right. So the manipulator it can't be seen as the villain. You know, if I'm the person who's manipulating you, I don't want you to know that I'm really the villain. So what I do is I will create a villain. That's nebulous. So, um, in many cases, the manipulator uses projection to divert focus from his or her own bad actions to a different person or to this fictitious villain. You know, for the remember that for the purposes of a con, just like what the what what I quoted before, manipulation. The the, the con is trying to manipulate our belief system. So the victim is really the villain. And the villain is really the victim. And once the two get intertwined so tightly, the manipulator confuses and then frustrates the the mark, the, the person who's being manipulated, so that he or she doesn't really know what to believe anymore. You know, like for instance, I, I give you a really good example of this. So I just made this up, so this isn't true, but let's say that a man cheats on his wife and his wife begins to get suspicious. So um, since he knows that she is now getting suspicious, she's starting to question subtly his behavior. um, He might try to divert, he might try to project that, um, that infidelity onto her. And the way that he might do that is at a restaurant, he just would suddenly bust out for no apparent reason. I saw the way you looked at that waiter. Right. Uh, Now keep in mind that the incident is totally made up. The wife didn't do anything wrong. She didn't even look at the, the waiter wrong. But the cheating husband will persist. You know, I, I saw that. That you're giving him glances. You're flirting with him. You know that kind of thing, right? And uh, and eventually, because the cheating husband is so persistent, and his wife really loves him, he has an emotional attachment to him. She really wants to see the best in him. So she may actually begin to question whether she actually did or not. I mean, in, in the beginning, she's I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. But in her head, she might start to think, well, you know, the waiter is attractive. <laughs> the waiter is kind of an attractive guy. So 
maybe I did look at him a little too long. Maybe my husband did pick up on that guy. Is this, is this really all my fault? Right. And so now she's going to start questioning him. And, and by the way, whether the wife actually be, begins to believe the lie is really irrelevant to the manipulator. It, it doesn't make any difference whether she believes it or not. The manipulator, the manipulator, the person who's doing this will bring up the lie as a projection to cover up his own infidelity. So when she actually does confront him about his cheating, he'll, he's going to respond with, well, isn't this rich? You know, I catch you flirting with every waiter that smiles at you and you accuse me of cheating, right? So the manipulator has now switched the roles in the narrative. The cheating husband becomes the victim. The suspicious wife, who hasn't done anything wrong, now takes on the role of the villain. And that that happens a lot. That's one of the major things that manipulators will actually do. So this is a pretty good stopping point. On the next session, I'm going to give you some specific examples of these fake villains that are created by political parties and news media outlets. And in fact, in the first 10 minutes of the next session, it should be pretty fun for you because I'm going to give you a list of some of these fake villains and the way that you react to me calling them fake will help you identify who's been manipulating you. So don't miss the next episode. Hey, by the way, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure and do that. Also, leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next week.